0: Welcome to the IBS Intelligence Podcast. I'm Sineva Kolostiak, and today I am talking to Joshua Wolski, the CTO of Broadway Technology. We're going to talk about what trends have emerged for banking trading desks in the first half of 2020, as well as what to watch out for in the coming months. But first, Joshua, thank you very much for joining today. Uh, let's start with having a look at who Broadway Technology is.
1: Yeah, uh, of course. First, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Broadway Technology was founded in uh, 2003, and we're a provider of front office technology for large and medium-sized sell-side institutions, primarily focusing in FIC, fixed income, foreign exchange. We provide basically the systems that the trading desks and the sales desks use to service their incoming customer inquiries and trading needs. And we've been doing it since 2003. We started mainly U.S.-focused, expanded into foreign exchange and uh, have, starting in 2016-27, expanded into global rates.
0: So in the past couple of months, there has been a redefinition of outsourcing. How has trading been affected by that and by work-from-home models?
1: It's interesting to watch what's happened as sell-side institutions, and in some ways the economy at large, has kind of, experienced COVID-19, reacted, realized, and evolved. I remember uh, thinking you know, early on, the first response and firms across the world experienced this, but when you think about you know, banking and sell-side financial institutions of all well, software providers, it was what do we need to do to kind of survive? How do we position ourselves to make sure that we can operate our business? And this was March, right? People are figuring out, can I work from home? If I were to ask, go back and ask CTOs and CIOs of banks in January, could you imagine a world where 80% of your workforce was working from home in four months? They'd say, that's crazy. That would never happen. Yet, lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. So the first reaction was, how do we do it? Then I think people started to say, okay, now that we've done it, when is it going to end? And no one was really thinking about, it being the new norm, but thinking about just getting through it. And over the past couple months, the realization that this is the new norm has really taken foot and people are getting back to business as the new usual. Um, so getting back to your question, what does that mean? I kind of see work from home almost as an acceleration of a theme that's been impacting the financial industry for centuries almost. And really what it is, is the decentralization of trading activity, right? Trading pits, gave way to dealing rooms, which gave way or embraced electronic trading. And ultimately what it meant was all the participants were physically getting further and further away from each other. Now, work from home kind of fits within this trend. I don't think anybody expected it to happen so quickly. But ultimately, work from home is now saying inside the firm, your traders don't sit next to each other anymore. They don't sit next to the salespeople anymore. Well, in the trading pits, you used to stand next to the person you were trading with. So it's really a, a dramatic, massive acceleration of that exact theme. But what it meant was all of the work on electronic trading and the electronic trading workflows really got put to the test because now it was every individual needs to rely on these electronic workflows for their interaction. And in some ways that's a degree and inspiring kind of getting back to what you said, you know, outsourcing in some ways, the entire sell-side workflow has now been pulled apart with electronic workflows fitting in between, allowing banks to start thinking about and leveraging where they can outsource different pieces. So while nobody intended it to be this way, it really can be thought of as a you know, catalyst or a massive acceleration to a theme that's been going on for a very long time.
0: So do you see this trend of working from home continuing going forward or do you see people going back into the office
1: yeah i'm i'm gonna dodge the question and say both um i seeing there being a place for work from home but i also see both individuals and firms having a desire to get back in the the workforce quite quite directly work from home is hard on people i think people creating a work-life balance and actually being able to, you know, participate fully in work and participate fully at home does require some actual physical and emotional separations. I do think people are yearning to get back to the office. I also think people have realized some great benefits of it. And I think because of that, it's here to stay. I think firms have also realized there's a way to get great benefits. And it's pushing us to figure out what does it make sense to do from home? What does it make sense to do while we are physically co-located, and how do we actually use technology to make those both better and easier and leverage the differences? Now, I do think the constraints that COVID put on the working world are gonna be here for a while. In my head, you know, I'm saying 18 months. Now, I am not, you know, I have no special knowledge uh, of anything, and there are you know tremendous experts working on this, at the CDC and these organizations, right? But in my head, I'm like, well. For a year and a half, I think the world was going to have to deal with something like this, if not more. So how do we make this part of our daily life? This is the new norm. So how do we make the new norm better? And that's how I think about both for our customers and for our, our workforce and employees. How do we make work from home make sense and leverage the benefits of it? While at some point we do know there's going to be some return to the office. But just like uh, anything, I think you expose people to something for such a long time, the work from home and the ability and the benefit from it. They'll figure out how to innovate and use it to create a better. So at the end of this, the new new norm will be better and contain parts of what used to exist pre-COVID and then contain parts of what exists now.
0: So if you look at thick trading specifically, how has that been affected and how are workflows changing?
1: Yeah, I think there's two main changes that that I'm seeing that are in some ways two aspects of the same theme. But what it is is further decoupling a workflow and a coordination between the customer-facing and customer-servicing side, typically your sales desk or your large distribution firms, and the risk-taking side for managing market risk. Um, ultimately, a sell-side firm and FIC needs to manage that. They have inventory and risk they're looking to manage, and they obviously have a customer base that they're working with. Those two parts of the organization work together very closely. Um, it used to be done by sales shouting to trading and trading to shouting back to sales. Obviously, in work from home, that's not happening. So those interactions are becoming more electronified. And the details of those interactions, give me a new price. Customer says this change, you know, the risk parameters by this, put a risk check in there. Every bit and piece of that process is being carved out to the appropriate piece of technology. And then they're all being woven together in a a seamless workflow. In some ways, MIFID requirements for sales trader workflow, electronification and record keeping started the industry down this path. And in fact, this path is being leveraged inside of COVID so one of the changes is actually further going down that route and having and capturing more of the complex workflows and getting more nuance and sophistication in that workflow. Okay, how do we do a credit override in that workflow? Is it sales that does the credit override? Is it trading? How do we change the parameters when markets are highly volatile so our previous risk bounds may not be appropriate in current conditions? So adding more sophistication to those workflows inside the firm. And then the second aspect or the second item, which is really along the same theme as well. Now, maybe since we figured out how to electronify these different pieces, instead of doing every piece inside the firm, how do we do some of the pieces outside of the firm? Is there an outsourcing partner that I can use to outsource some of the risk taking? You first saw this in some ways with high frequency trading, high frequency trading became a, risk taker and risk manager of highly liquid assets for large sell side institutions or for medium tier sell side institutions that had the customer facing and the customer profiles and the detailed knowledge of the customers and their needs and then we're outsourcing some of the risk taking to a high frequency trading shop which would manage the risk for our liquid securities I think you'll start to see more of that capability saying, well, maybe I have a good partner that can handle my overnight trading, because I'm a bank, I work European hours, I don't have an Asian desk, I don't have a desk covering Asia, but I have customers who care about Asia. So how can I partner with another firm to take the risk so I can service my customers? So I think those are the two themes is, as more of the workflow is pulled apart and systems are put in place, to allow people inside the firm to handle different parts. Now look at a given piece, how can you find a partner that's an expert there to handle it outside of the firm?
0: With all these systems and changes being put in place, do you also see increased interest in customization?
1: Absolutely. So when we, early early on in the the cycle of Broadway, Um, I remember having a a conversation with a co-founder and partner where I was talking about why is every system, why are all customers coming to us with different requirements? Why can't they all just be the same from a software provider? That would be nice. (laughs) Everybody took the same iPhone and didn't want the differences. And we got into a conversation and it really became clear to me that different organizations have different internal processes and have different workflows that represent those internal processes, which ultimately represent the values of that firm. Those values and the fact that firms have different values and value things differently, some service real money clients, some service more hedge fund type clients, some service large corporations, right? Those different kinds of banks and different customer calls different internal bank workflows and processes, those processes are going to cause the bank to value different things, which ultimately is going to mean the market only exists because firms have different processes. The only reason that we have different prices and that one bank may think a security is priced here and another may think it's priced there is because those firms are fundamentally different. They're fundamentally different, meaning they have different processes. So if everybody were the same and there were no customization, there wouldn't be a market because there would be one price and there would be an answer. So fundamental to the very nature of markets is differing perspectives. Different perspectives create differing values, create differing prices. Different perspectives also create different processes and create different workflows. Those workflows, as you then talk about electronification, need to be represented in software. And in fact, if the software can't represent those, it can't stay true to the very needs of the different participants of the market. And that's where Broadway's approach was really figuring out how to embrace those customizations in the workflows without having to rewrite every single piece of software. So we almost flipped the problem on its head and said customization is the thing that powers the market. Let's figure out how to make that easy from a software perspective and also realize that as we make things more electronic, you're going to have to manage complexity because that's one big topic. How do you manage complexity? How do banks manage complexity going forward as more and more becomes electronic, as well as how do you also then manage uniqueness and differences of perspective, which is what makes the market?
0: And lastly, um, let's take a look at FX trading too. Do you see that becoming more reliant on third parties as well?
1: So FX trading, I I think similar to, to other areas, the ability for people to do the parts of the trade and parts of the interaction that they're great at and then leverage partners or third parties to handle parts of the interaction that they want to provide to their customers, but maybe they're not the most efficient and economical and best way to do it. Um, I think you'll see that evolve uh, and continue to evolve in foreign exchange. One of the things that's interesting about foreign exchange as a customer base, there is a utility aspect to foreign exchange. Ultimately, global capitalism requires foreign exchange, right? I have a shipment that I'm taking delivery on and I need to pay in Euro, but maybe my customers pay me in dollar. So I, as a corporation, I have a fundamental need as a utility for foreign exchange. Um, Because of that, I as a corporation, I'm going to need certain things from the banks that I work with. So banks then on the other side are put in a position where they want to provide full service offerings to their customers. In order to provide a full service offering, you've got two ways to do it. Either you figure out how to build and manage and do everything yourself, or you figure out how to white label or embed other capabilities in some ways, you know, OEM, you know, original equipment manufacturing kind of embedded into the service the bank provides. And that's really what outsourcing is and using third parties for part of the trade. I talked earlier about, you know, the separation between the customer management and the risk. And I think in foreign exchange, we are seeing it. The overnight example I gave before is a great one where, One bank could leverage overnight risk management capabilities of another bank. Another great example is one bank might manage high frequency trading provided liquidity for G3 currencies is another example. But I see it continuing to evolve, especially as these workflows get split up into little pieces, um, figuring out how to leverage a party to do that piece, allowing larger sell-side institutions to focus on what they're great at which you know could be full service for their customers great breadth of product great breadth of reach and then being able to leverage partners on the back end to handle different pieces of the trading lifecycle. thank you wonderful